I'm going to make a chicken gumbo, toss some sausage in the pot. I'm going to flavor it with okra, cayenne pepper to make it hot. You know, life is what you make of it. So beautiful or so what? I'm going to tell my kids a bedtime story, a play without a plot. Will it have a happy ending? Maybe, yeah, maybe not. I tell them life is what you make of it. So beautiful or so what? So beautiful. So beautiful. So what? I'm just a raindrop in a bucket, a coin dropped in a slot. I'm an empty house on Weed Street across the road from a vacant lot. You know life is what you make of it. So beautiful or so what? Ain't it strange the way we're ignorant? How we seek out bad advice. How we jigger it and figure it, mistaking value for the price. And play a game with time and love like a pair of rolling dice. So beautiful, so beautiful, so what? Four men on the balcony, overlooking the parking lot, pointing at a figure in the distance. Dr. King has just been shot. And the siren's long melody, singing, Savior, pass me not. Ain't it strange the way we're ignorant? How we seek out bad advice. How we jigger it and figure it mistaking value for the price and play a game with time and love like a pair of rolling dice so beautiful so beautiful so beautiful paul simon from the song so beautiful or so what so mondays are my day off and yesterday i spent the day enjoying this beautiful day that we had down here. I don't know how it was like in the rest of the country, but down in Abita Springs is pretty dang amazing. Sun was out, low 70s, upper 60s. It was beautiful outside. And I spent some time walking out on the St. Tammany Trace, which is this paved path that runs from downtown Covington, through Obita Springs, down through Mandeville, off to Slidell, about 40-something miles in its entirety. And I just enjoyed the afternoon walking out on the trace and listening to music. And it got me to thinking. I, I came across this song by Paul Simon that I hadn't heard in a while. And it got me thinking about truth. Embedded within these words, there is so much truth. So much that... Uh, asks us to consider the ultimate meaning behind it all, the way we live our lives, the, the way we mistake value for the price, so to speak. And I've been thinking a bit about truth. You know, there's, in our world today, we're living in a time where truth is so elusive. I mean, the, the, the credibility of media and blogs and Twitter and politicians, it is, there is so much noise out there. It is hard to tell what is what. And sometimes we, 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 we tend to think that something that is true is only true in the sense that it is factual. You know, this is part of what we've inherited through the Enlightenment. You know, thank God for the Enlightenment, uh, scientific progress. We're beneficiaries of, of all the, that has come from that. 
But there's a downside. We live in a time where we tend to value facts or, or what can be proved scientifically in a laboratory or, or through the scientific method as the only thing that is true. However, when you get sort of on the ground level of our own experience as individuals, we have experiences with the truth all the time. And I'm, I'm speaking more in terms of truth, <laughs> capital T. Let's see, the reality is some of the greatest truth arises in fiction, in poetry, in song. Some of the greatest truth isn't true in the same sense as truth that comes to us via the scientific method. And while the scientific method and you know, rationalism certainly have their place, and they are great at explaining the mechanics of how things work. Whether it's on the quantum level or on the cosmic level, whether it's in biology or sociology, there's a lot that can be learned from that. But what we get is the mechanics and we don't get the underlying meaning, the truth that is underneath it all. And yet we have experiences with these things time and time again. Sometimes we don't even realize it. Jesus once said, if, if you continue in my teachings, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Now, it's, it's tempting to look at a saying like that and think what Jesus is getting at is the, the most important thing is, is the teachings. Well, what is Jesus' teachings? If you read on a little bit later in that passage, it's pretty obvious what his teaching is. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself, that kind of stuff. If you continue in that, you will come to know truth. But the word translated no, we, we can tend to look at that in our modern rationalistic world as knowledge about facts or truths or ideas or statements or propositions, that that's the most important thing. And, and so much of religion, so much of the church is about that. We've got to know the right doctrine. We've got to know the right theology. We've got to know the right statements. And, and, and that's the thing that God wants. And, and, and fundamentally, what Jesus is getting at is, no, the, the real knowledge here is experiential knowledge. If you continue in these teachings of Christ, namely which have to do with love, then you will experience truth and have the kind of experience with truth that actually brings you freedom. Now, I could do a whole episode on, on that one aspect, but I really want to talk about the idea of truth as resonance. If you have a piano at home or you've been around a piano, one of the cool things you can do with a piano is you can open up the lid to where you can see the strings over the soundboard. And if you push the sustain pedal, the sustain pedal is what makes the notes hold out when you're playing. If you put that uh, sustain pedal down, you can sing uh, or, or even speak down into the 
where the strings are. And every time you hit a frequency, which is the same as one of those strings that is at the appropriate amount of tension, it will reverberate. It'll sound like, you know, you're in a bigger space because these strings are resonating with the tone of your voice. And I I say this because I think so much of truth, so much of the way that we can come to understand the big T truth (laughs) uh, at the ground of all reality, it comes to us as resonance. It is not something merely external to our experience, but something within us that when we hear it externally, when we perceive it externally, it causes something in our own heart to resonate, just like the strings on a piano or a guitar when a similar note is played. And this is one of those things that, that, that we ought to pay attention to. I started off this episode reading the song lyrics from uh, So Beautiful or So What by Paul Simon. Uh, you're only getting the lyrics. You ought to go listen to the song if you have never heard it. I love this about music that partly because music hits us in so many different ways. I think I shared this on the, on the podcast before, but Oliver Sacks, the uh, neuroscientist who passed away a few years ago, did a book, wrote a book called uh, music philia where he was studying uh, music's effects on the brain and how the brain even processes music. And he said, you know, the, the common misconception is that there is some part of your brain that's devoted to music, and that's not the case at all. It, just listening to a song involves about 16 different processes in your brain at once. That's just listening to it. Now, if you play music, uh, it's probably double that. So when you come across truth, say, in the form of music, you're not just getting a propositional statement. You are engaging your emotions, your intellect, you're, you're engaging rhythm and melodies and harmonies. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about music is, you know, you, you may have listened to one song for decades and then one day you actually hear what it's saying. It, it has connected with you in a deep way on one level, even though you never really were paying attention to the words, then you hear the words and you're like, Oh my goodness, this is a whole layer of it <laughs> that, that has just been uncovered, but it's not just music. It's film, it's literature. It's even walking out in nature. If you have eyes open If you have your ears open and if you are open to perceiving truth, the truth is all around you. There are windows into it. One of my favorite stories after the resurrection of Christ in the New Testament is uh, the disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. This is an interesting story because from their point of view, They've just been through the worst weekend of their life. You know, earlier in the previous week, Jesus had made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem and was welcomed as the Messiah. And people were laying down palm branches and Jesus is coming into town. And, and a lot of people, particularly who had been following Jesus for a few years, they're, they're thinking this is the moment where he's going to, he's going to do something miraculous and they're going to throw off the yoke of Roman oppression, 
And then just a few days later, Jesus is crucified, executed by the state in a brutal, public, shameful way. And from the perspective of these disciples, it was like all their hopes and dreams had, had been that Jesus was the one, and now it just ended in a horrible way. And so they're walking to they're walking away from Jerusalem, the holy city, to Emmaus. But as they're walking, they're joined by Jesus. They don't recognize him as Jesus. This is actually kind of a common thing with many people who see Jesus post-resurrection. They don't recognize him at first. We're not told why, but they don't recognize him as Jesus. This may be God kind of playing hide-and-seek. And as they walk down the road, they're probably traveling for a few hours, Jesus begins to unfold the story of scriptures to them and and to explain everything right up to the cross. And and when they get to where they're going, Jesus, it, it says he was looking like he was going to keep on going on. And they said, no, 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 please come in, stay with us, have dinner. And so Jesus comes inside and it says that when Jesus breaks the bread in front of them, that their eyes were opened and they saw him as Jesus. And then he disappeared. Then the interesting thing that I want to hit on today is that these two disciples look at one another and they go, Oh my goodness. Did not our hearts burn within us while he was speaking to us on the road. (laughs) There was something in them that was awakening. This is resonance folks. Have you ever had that experience in your life where, you know, your, your heart burns within you. It's, it's not mere inspiration. You know, we can find things that inspire us and maybe they inspire us in a big way, but when you listen to a song or you read a book or you watch a film or even have a conversation and as you're having it, there is something not external to you, but within you that begins to burn (laughs) something within you that begins to resonate with what's being said. This is getting at the truth at the core of our being. I think we all have access to truth, but sometimes we need something to, to cause that resonance within us, to cause that fire to burn within us. I remember when I was a young Christian, I was in ministry. This was, I don't know, 25 years ago or so. And it was quite popular back in the nineties to, for, for Christians to engage in apologetics, you know, the reasons to believe in, in Jesus. And, and many of them would start by, you know, trying to prove that Jesus actually existed and that the Bible was uh, inspired by God and that, that all People are sinners and da 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 da. <laughs> and apologetics always just kind of bothered me because it seems like you're actually trying to push something that is actually external to a person's experience. You're trying to get a person to believe certain ideas, to agree with you on certain statements. And if you could, you know, get them to agree with you, you could kind of close the deal and walk off and, yeah, I just converted somebody. I just don't think that's great. 
How many times have you been talked into something in your life? You know, it doesn't really have the same lasting effect as when you are encountering truth on the inside. You know, I've led worship in churches and written worship songs, songs that people sing together on a Sunday morning. I've done a lot of that over the last 25 years. And I've had some amazing times in those of experiencing God with other people. But a few years ago, it just began to feel to me like so many of the songs out there in the world of Christendom, you know, so many of the worship songs just seem like marketing. They were songs, you know, where you throw together a bunch of Christian cliches and you set them to a certain style. I mean, it, it, it's kind of sad to me at this point in the history of worship music that worship music actually sounds like a genre now that... There's, there's very little diversity in what, what people call worship music that is sung at most churches now. It just it, it all sounds very homogenous, and the words are not terribly inspiring. And though the words may be true in one sense, and though I may agree with the words, they don't ring true. They don't strike me as something that has emerged out of someone contending with truth. And it's for this reason, I don't find myself listening, you know, I, I do a lot of worship music. I don't find myself listening to a lot of worship music because if I want something that is honest and true, I'm going to listen to Paul Simon. I'm going to listen to Bob Dylan. I'm going to listen to the Wood Brothers or Wilco because there is truth within that. It's not just trying to squeeze something into you know, just, just put a bunch of cliches together just so it will be the next thing that people can sing along with. It's actually coming out of an experience. It's not marketing. It's not propaganda. It's coming from a genuine place and it rings genuine. And it's not just the songs themselves. You know, I've seen a lot of concerts over my life and I try to see a bunch of them every year. But there's a handful of concerts that were not merely inspiring, where the music wasn't just played good, but it was an encounter with truth. I had that the first time that I heard Wilco play live, and the second time. <laughs> I've had that numerous occasions listening to the Wood Brothers live. I've had that experience when I heard Swell Season, Glenn Hanser's band several years ago at the House of Blues, Anders Osborne, who... Uh, musician from songwriter down in new orleans i saw him in concert a couple of years ago and i was blown away i mean from his first couple of songs i had the chills i mean like like he was hitting on truth it was not merely inspiring it was not just merely connecting at an emotional level there was something within me that was resonating with what was being sung but we can take it out of the realm of music I mean, that's kind of the normal place for me to experience these things. Take it into the realm of film. You know, how many movies, I, just think of how popular movies are, how much money we all spend every year on watching these stories, whether it's on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime or going to a movie theater or, if you're old school, even renting a DVD. How much money do we spend to sit down and watch a story or a series of, you know, uh, like Game of Thrones or something where, where we watch all these episodes of seasons and seasons because 
we we find that not just entertaining i believe that as we watch these stories there is something of truth that resonates within us and the best stories the classic stories the ones that stand the test of time connect with us in that way more than others joseph campbell did a lot of you know his primary field of of research was on myths and he studied myths from around the world. I think he started by studying uh, the stories of native American peoples and then moved to stories from Polynesian peoples and started looking at the stories that uh, go back to ancient times from all around the world myths and, and many of which are embedded in religion and as he studied them all, he began to see the similar pattern emerging, which began to be referred to as the hero's journey. Uh, a classic work that follows the pattern of the hero's journey would be the movie Star Wars. Uh, Joseph Campbell actually consulted with George Lucas on making that story. So George Lucas followed that formula uh, to a T. So in that story, you have... Luke Skywalker, the the hero, who's just living an ordinary life, and then he gets invited into a bigger adventure. He has a mentor by the name of Obi-Wan Kenobi. He goes out to join this, this, this battle against the Empire. His arch enemy, his nemesis, is Darth Vader, and then he has a confrontation with Darth Vader, and then he finds out that it's not just his enemy, it's his father which then sends him into this crazy place you know it's it's the enemy is now my own flesh and blood so he has to face his own darkness because he realizes that if that's his father he has the same blood in his veins and maybe the same propensity towards succumbing to evil the way his father has and now he's not just fighting the evil empire he's trying to rescue his father from the darkness while waging war with the empire. And eventually the empire comes down eventually in the last, uh, moments of Darth Vader's life, Anakin Skywalker, he, you know, he does do the right thing. He comes out of the fog of evil. Eventually the empire is destroyed or overcome maybe for the moment, because they got to make some sequels after all that. <laughs> and Luke Skywalker comes back uh, to the the alliance, and now he's a very different person. He's been shaped by the journey, and and Joseph Campbell makes the point that this is the oldest form of a story that exists, and it's not just old. It doesn't just exist in ancient times. It exists in most of the most popular movies that exist today are, are some version of the hero's journey. Even if it's something like a romantic comedy, it is some version of the hero's journey. In a sense, you can even look at the story of, of Christ in this sense. You know, God in Christ steps into our world and becomes one of us, human. The God who created it all and holds it all together universally becomes particular in the person of Jesus. And Jesus lives 30 years, just as a normal guy, the son of a carpenter, just facing every reality that we face as human beings 
facing it from the inside. And then he launches into his, he leaves home, launches into his public ministry and faces the darkness and ultimately is, is crucified, executed in front of everybody. But that's not the end of the story because then he is resurrected three days later. He's a different, he's in a different place. Perhaps this is why Jesus looks different after the resurrection. Now, what Joseph Campbell was hitting on uh, is, is really kind of tied into some of the observations of Carl Jung. Carl Jung sees that many of these archetypes that we find in these old stories uh, and, and in modern day stories, many of these uh, arose from human consciousness grappling with issues of morality, of society, of what is good, what is true, uh, transcending uh, darkness, defeating evil, experiencing transformation, and that these are the most common forms of stories because they speak to us. They speak truth to us. Maybe some of these myths aren't true in the sense of factually, you know, maybe this character, this creature, this scenario never actually existed that way. And yet they are much more true than merely facts. What we bump into in these stories is the truth underneath everything. And if a movie or a work of literature doesn't hit on that, it's forgettable. Why do we keep watching these stories over and over again? I believe it's because there is something within us that resonates. There's something within us that when we see these, it's like a person singing into the piano with a sustain pedal down. There's something within us. The truth within us is resonating with the truth that we're perceiving. And that's why when you encounter truth, I mean, really encounter truth, it never just seems like marketing or propaganda. It never seems like something external to you. It is something that was already within you for which you lacked words or imagery or metaphors to understand, but it's in you. Even Jesus said, you know, the kingdom of God, it's in you. It's within you. And I think this is one of the wonderful things about the teachings of Jesus. How much of the time does Jesus teach by using parables? He doesn't tell you like the right answer. He gives you a story. The prodigal son, a farmer went out to sow some seed. <laughs> uh, or there was a guy who owned a vineyard and he hired some of these guys for one price and hired some other guys later and gave them the same price. <laughs> or, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, this, this little insignificant seed that when you plant it in the ground, it, it grows up to be a huge plant, bigger than all the other plants in the garden. Jesus is not telling us what to think, but rather he is helping us see what is already there, but which we've been blind to. This is the brilliant 
aspect of truth that is embedded in poetry and in songs and in literature and in film. The reason why they resonate with us is because it causes us to look at reality in a different way. I'm convinced that mystics, prophets, poets, it's not that they're seeing some other reality, but they're actually calling us to see reality as it is, unencumbered by ideology, unencumbered by anxiety, unencumbered by grasping and trying to control. It is the reality that is plain to see right in front of our faces if we can just but open our eyes to see it. This has been part of my frustration with theology over the last few years. I have read tons and tons of theology books, books written by Bible scholars, and I've learned a lot. I've enjoyed it. I used to be really into it, but I finally got to a point a few years ago where I had to just realize part of why I kept reading so much theology books is I was looking for some elegant formula that could kind of explain everything <laughs> you know, in, the, in the world of physics. I know there's been talk for years now with trying to reconcile you know, standard model physics with quantum physics. You know, these, these two kinds of physics that seem to operate in different ways. And there is this quest for that as if it is the Holy Grail. And, and there are scientists working around the clock trying to come up with this. And they believe that once they get it, it it's going to be some simple, elegant, beautiful formula that will explain everything. And something like a E equals MC squared kind of thing. But I had to realize, you know, what, what physicists are doing in that world is kind of what I was doing with theology, thinking like, you know, maybe if I find the, the right combination of theologies and doctrines, I will finally have this whole God and church thing figured out, which sounds utterly stupid, even as I say it. <laughs> and how much of even that quest is really more about control, wanting you know, a, a feeling of security that we, we can rest in this sense of we got it all figured out. And it's not that I'm no longer interested in theology. I still read some theology from time to time, but I read a whole lot of other stuff too. And I find that, that if you're paying attention, you will encounter truth everywhere. If you're open to it, you can encounter truth just simply walking around in nature. Like I, I've, Felt like I encountered truth just on my walk yesterday. I wasn't in a hurry, but just looking at the world around me, like I noticed the way God's put all this thing together and, and, and it, things start making sense. Creation testifies. There is truth right there. But I think so often we chase after truth as if it is something external to us when in reality the truth is within us we may be blind to it we may not have awakened to it we may not have experienced that kind of resonance that wakes us up to reality maybe because we're avoiding it maybe because we're just we stay distracted all the time maybe because we are looking for the answers all over the place and we're looking for somebody to just tell us you know what are we supposed to believe what are we supposed to do 
But truly encountering the truth has to do with living with our eyes open, paying attention. It has to do with reflecting on our lives. It has to do with contemplation, uh, reflecting on our own experiences, learning how to look at our own life over time, to pay attention to what is going on on the inside of us. Why, when I get around certain situations, do I feel so angsty on the inside? What is that? Can I pay attention to that? What is it that in me that, that seems to uh, resonate? How does my own heart burn within me when I'm talking with this other person? There are certain people I talk to sometimes that I walk away from the conversation going, oh man, my heart was burning within me. Now, from a Christian perspective, I would just say, well, it is the truth of Christ within that other person resonating with the truth of Christ in me. I don't think you have to be a Christian to, you could frame it however you want. But I guess what I'm getting at today, and, and maybe some, some practical advice, is, is to move from a place of willfulness to a place of willingness. You know, the, the early years of my faith journey, it was very willful. I'm trying really hard to be Mr. Best Christian that I could be. And I was very disciplined because I thought succeeding as a Christian really had something to do with the, the sheer force of my own will. You know, I mean, I've talked about things like the grace of God, but I certainly didn't understand them. <laughs> but over the years, moving from a place of willful determination to willingness, that faith is really not not about the, the, the sheer force of your will. It's not merely about giving mental scent to propositions and doctrines and theologies, but it is rather a willingness, a willingness to open up your heart, a willingness to trust even with the things that you don't understand and to, to, to live in that place that, that even if there's things you can't explain with theology or doctrines or even science or philosophy or whatever, that you can be okay with those without shutting down your heart to experience truth, being willing instead of willful. So in closing, I just want to encourage you today as you go about your week, as you go about the next few days, see if you can consciously make a shift Instead of trying to control everything, instead of treating truth as it is something external to you, try to live in a place of openness, you know, to, tr to try to pay attention to what's going on around you and within you. When you have one of those encounters where you find your heart burning within you, don't just walk away from that. Pay attention to that. What is that resonance within you saying? What is the message to you? What is being awakened in your heart? How could you incorporate that into how you live your life? If you come into times where you're experiencing angst and stress, pay attention to that. What is it within you that perhaps you need to face or that, that is unresolved? Or, or, or perhaps... How are you living your life in such a way where you are not 
validating the truth that is at the core of your being. See, I think so much of the angst and the stress and anxiety we feel oftentimes is because we are ignoring something that is fundamental on the inside. There, there's truth within us. There is values deep in our core, and we may be going on, going along with what other people want us to do, or we may be trying to be squeezed into a certain kind of mold, and, and we find ourselves in this place where we're just miserable and anxious and depressed because we're not actually living in harmony with that resonance within us. We're actually trying to shut it down. And look, I get it. Living by the truth within you, living by your ultimate values and the core of your being, living in alignment with that can sometimes be scary because it does at times put you at odds with maybe the way things are going around you. It may put you at odds with uh, some relationships. It may put you at odds with even your job. But as Jesus said in another passage, he says, you know, what's it gain a per what, what profit is it for a person to, to gain the whole world and lose themselves in the midst of it? We need to pay attention to these things because as we live into truth, as we uh, live in harmony with that truth that we get glimpses of in movies and in literature and in music and in poetry, in conversations or just in nature, as we begin living in harmony with that, we live lives that are fulfilling and meaningful and we have something within us then that can take us through the struggles and actually bear fruit through the hard times that we face. Thanks for listening to Extra Crispy.